0: Hi and welcome to In Conversation With, a podcast from The Lancet Diabetes and Endocrinology. It's January 2022 and I'm your host Jack Williamson. Young people who have type 2 diabetes are at a much higher risk of several negative health indicators, such as poorer treatment response, more complications and worse overall prognosis than older adults who also have type 2 diabetes. Within Australian, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities in particular, Rates of type 2 diabetes are known to be higher than for non-First Nations communities, but data exploring these differences, specifically in young First Nations people, are extremely scarce. Moreover, concerns that First Nations communities have limited access to and engagement with health services sparks additional conversations around the ongoing legacy of historical and socio-economic inequities that are indelibly linked to the health of First Nations young people. Today I'm joined by Dr Angela Titmus from Charles Darwin University, whose research letter on type 2 diabetes among First Nations young people in Northern Australia was published in our January issue. Hi Angela, thanks so much for joining us and for waking up so early this morning. (laughs) Hi Jack. Your work raises awareness for the high prevalence of type 2 diabetes in First Nations people. Why is type 2 diabetes becoming more common in these communities?
1: Yes, I think it's more prevalent in all First Nation communities across the world. And I think there are common historical experiences in those communities that contribute to that, such as poverty, um, high rates of educational disadvantage, food insecurity and kind of rapid societal change in those communities. And there's also a big contributor from intergenerational transmission of diabetes. So women having diabetes in pregnancy their children then develop type two diabetes at an even younger age. And then that keeps on occurring each generation. And that's because of um, intrauterine um, programming of organs. And it really changes how the body responds to um, metabolic primers that set up type two diabetes.
0: Walk us through what you did in your study. And could you tell us some of the key findings you found and were these what your group expected before you did the study or were these unexpected results?
1: So our study was looking at primary healthcare data across northern Australia, which is quite a re- uh, remote um, region um, covering um, three different states as well um, of Australia. And the difference in our study compared to previous studies in Australia that we were using primary healthcare data um, and outreach data to um, ascertain cases of young people with type 2 diabetes and that compared to all the previous studies in Australia and mostly also around the world relied on hospital data or administrative billing data. And a lot of young people with type 2 diabetes don't access hospital services. They're known primarily to primary healthcare services. So we were um, I think it's not surprising that the prevalence rates that we found in our study were much higher than what had been reported elsewhere. So our prevalence rates of about 1 in 150 young people being affected by type 2 diabetes was 10 times higher than what had been previously reported in Australia, First Nations young people, um, and also much higher than what had been reported in other First Nation communities um, across the world in the last 25 years, so, um, including Canada and the US.
0: One of the biggest things I took from your research lesson was how few studies have been done in this community. Um, how much data was there for your team to go by, and and you talk about your results being much different. How much different were your results compared to that existing literature?
1: Yeah, so our uh, all there's very scarce data um, generally, and I think that it's it's because a lot of the data has relied on hospital data, and um, it's um, getting accurate data through primary healthcare is quite a time intensive. Um, process and also requires um, collaboration between many many different services to be able to obtain that data our data indicated our prevalence rates were 10 times higher than what we had known in australia previously though we had no data to go on for our region of northern australia Um, and our rates were about three to five times higher than when reported in first nation communities in the united states or canada who probably have the most complete data um, previously um, and were higher than had been reported in any population of young people in the world in the last 25 years. So do note that um, over 25 years ago, it was very high rates reported in the um, Pima community in the United States, but we don't have any more recent data from prevalence data from that community um, to know how our results compare to that.
0: Mm. What changes need to happen to prevent and manage type 2 diabetes in First Nations people? So this is probably the golden question and, and the reason why you probably undertook your, your research letter. What kind of lessons can, we, can be gleaned from your research?
1: So I think um, there's been work over the last five years that have clearly shown that the young people that are affected around the world by type 2 diabetes primarily come from vulnerable, socioeconomically disadvantaged Groups of, um, and so there was a, a research letter published in the Lancet, um, five years ago, which clearly said it's a um, type 2 diabetes and new a disease of poverty. And I think that is true for our population as well. And so, therefore, any approaches to managing and preventing need to be quite holistic. And that includes outside of the health sector, we need to kind of under, address the underlying socioeconomic inequities that contribute to this, food insecurity. And we really need to address the intergenerational transmissions. We need to be thinking of strategies early in childhood, pre-conception and during pregnancy to try to reduce the risk for um, offspring. And um, we need to be thinking about how we really engage young people. I think um, what we do know from around the world is that these young people are quite Um, vulnerable, often quite um, isolated, and I don't mean just physically, but I mean um, kind of isolated from healthcare or have limited access to healthcare. And therefore, these young people have even worse outcomes from a condition that we already know affects young people much more severely than it does older people.
0: Could you talk about that a bit more? I think not many people, I imagine, might know that um, young people who have type 2 diabetes often have more chronic conditions associated with more comorbidities. What are the differences, the main differences between uh, youth onset type 2 diabetes and adult onset type 2 diabetes?
1: Yeah, so we classify youth onset type 2 diabetes as being that's diagnosed before the age of 25, I suppose just to clarify what that means. And we know that the pathophysiology is different, firstly. So we know that um, young people with type 2 diabetes have lost more of their beta cell function, which is beta cells produce insulin. We've lost more of that function right from the time of diagnosis. And then the function um, loss progresses more severely in young people than it does in and more rapidly than in adults. We also know that they have more complications at the time of diagnosis and develop complications more rapidly after diagnosis. That includes um, dyslipidemia, renal complications, um, and neuropathies um, and other cardiovascular complications. Um, We also know that they unfortunately don't respond to treatment as well as adult people, even when you're um, kind of controlling by adherence factors. It seems to be that the um, treatment response or the pathophysiology is quite different, and that may be because it's really prompted by intergenerational transmission and that interuterine programming of organs. Um, And we also know that their mental health is a bigger issue in these young people. Um, So the Canadian studies have shown that um, there's high rates of distress and um, anxiety and depression in these young people, but also that mental health appears to influence your risk of complications, and that may be because you have more inflammatory um, cytokines, for instance, in your body, and that increases your risk of renal complications.
0: You've mentioned some limitations already um, of your study, such as um, that there's limited access and um, limited engagement by First Nations young people in healthcare services. What are some other limitations you can think of about your study? And could you talk more about how those limitations could be overcome in, in future studies? Uh-huh.
1: So um, you we're already working on repeating this audit. So one of our um, limitations is that not every service was included in every region. Um, so in some regions we had all services included and we feel very confident in the accuracy of the data, but in some ser- um, regions it's probably an underestimate as we had less services included, though we included the total number of young people as a denominator for our prevalence. So it's probably an underestimate. Um, and Um, I think it's already shown because services have been very interested in these results, um, services that weren't involved initially will be involved in the next audit. So I think it's um, the communities themselves um, think that it's a very relevant and important study. Um, Some of the issues can be that there's only um, not electronic data collection um, or records in some of our services. So um, we're relying on paper records to be able to extract that. And so we're having to work on systems to be able to electronically extract that data for the next um, audit. And um, We also, it's probably an underestimate is that a lot of these young people are asymptomatic. They don't know they have diabetes. They don't necessarily present to the health system. And so therefore they're not diagnosed um, and they don't count in our number of cases. Also, um, we were very um, concerned to make sure that we weren't over-diagnosing young people, to have an overestimate, and so it required a lot of um, confirmation and communication back to health services to clarify data that had been provided and to confirm that, if at all possible, by collaborative evidence, such as um, antibody results, C-peptide results, physician letters, um, and so we feel that the risk of overestimate is probably uh, um, quite small um, because of the steps that we took, but the risk of underestimate um, is probably um, substantial. So they are prevalence, the true prevalence rates are p- probably much lot higher than what we've reported.
0: Thank you very much for joining me today, Angela. It's a real pleasure speaking with you.
1: Uh, thanks very much, Jack, for the invitation.
0: You can read the original research letter now at thelancet.com. Thank you for joining us today, and remember... You can subscribe to In Conversation with wherever you normally get your podcasts.